Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. You doing good this morning? You're looking good. Well, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here because today is a special Sunday. It's Baptism Sunday, which means that every single one of us in this room gets the chance this morning to bear witness to a holy moment where heaven crashes into earth as our actions and our obedience like collide with the movement of God and the physical connects to the spiritual as a whole bunch of individuals stand up and declare that their lives and their futures belong to Jesus. There's an inseparable connection in the Bible between following Jesus and deciding to get baptized. Jesus gave his disciples the great commission in Matthew 28. He told them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, Peter preached the first sermon in the history of the church. He stood up in Jerusalem and talked to thousands of people about the good news of Jesus. And a whole bunch of them were like, all right, we're in. We believe. What do we do next? How do we respond? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because your sins have been forgiven. And so baptism in the life of the believer isn't just an invitation, it's a command. It's a command to put off your old self and identify your life with this whole Jesus movement. And the word baptize just means submerge. It means dunk under water. But baptism is so much more than dunking. It's intended to be a seminal moment, not just in the life of the individual believer, but in the life of the whole church. As we hear people's stories and we watch them stand here and aim their futures toward Jesus, it reminds all of us what it looks like to die to ourselves so that we can live for Jesus in a way that brings hope and healing and life to a broken and desperate world. Baptism is a symbol of faith, but it's more than just a symbol of faith. It's a public declaration of a new association. It's a way of saying, hey, amidst everything else going on in my life right now, and everything that defined who I was, I want the world to know who I am becoming. And that's not about arrogance. It's not about perfection. It's not about self-righteousness. It's really not even about you. It's about him. It's about declaring to the world that you received a grace. You did absolutely nothing to deserve, but because of that grace, you are new. Your old self is gone as you bury it in baptism, and your new self, grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus, is here. And that's actually the paradox of Christianity. It's the paradox of Christianity. Don't miss the metaphor this morning. This is a water grave. It's a picture of death and resurrection. And it's a reminder that death is the only pathway to life. That one day we're all going to die, but one day we will all rise again. And the death of Jesus Christ was the only way any of us have access to eternal life. And our death to self is the only way we can live to him and be fully human and fully alive. That's what we're witnessing this morning. And it's awesome. And I'm excited to be here. I hope you guys are fired up as well. Oh man, I love baptism Sundays. And I love baptism because it's 
more than just like a, a ritual or more than just some religious hoop we jump through in order to prove that we're, we're good enough to earn God's love. And it's more than that because that's just not how God works. He's never superfluous. You guys, everything God does in relationship to you is for your good. Every invitation he extends in your direction moves you toward wholeness. Every command God issues for your life moves you to a deeper beauty. And baptism is part of that. In Romans 6, Paul's like, don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death? Like we, were, we were buried with Jesus into death through baptism so that like, just like Jesus was raised to the glory of the Father, we too could live a new life. That's what baptism's all about. It's this visible picture of an invisible reality where we are literally given a new life. And even if you're here or watching online this morning and you've never thought about the act of baptism before, here's what I know for sure. Every last one of us in this room has longed for a new life at some point. We've just had moments where we wished we could get a do-over, right? When I was in high school, my, my dad and I went to a Bears game and we were walking around Soldier Field and this lady came up and approached me and asked if I wanted to be part of the Coca-Cola pregame kick where we would get to go down on the field and I'd kick two field goals from the five-yard line and the 10-yard line and if I made them both, they'd give $1,000 to my school. So obviously I said, yeah, that is the thing that I would like to be a part of. And she ushered me and my dad onto Soldier Field. We were five yards away from Barry Sanders while he was warming up. And both of his thighs were bigger than my entire body. It was absolutely nuts. And then they trotted me out there in front of more than 50,000 people. And I nailed the first field goal. And I lined up for the second one. I was just feeling it. I already had a taste of the glory. And I shanked it hard. It was almost Charlie Brown level. Like, I might as well have not kicked it. It went farther toward the sideline than it did toward the goalpost. And I can honestly say that was not my first or my last public failure, but it was my most public failure. That's a lot of people to be embarrassed in front of. And I so badly wanted a do-over because I could make that kick from a 10-yard line most of the time, but that's not how life works. You kind of get one shot to live it forward. And I know that there are so many of us who had moments where we wished that wasn't true, where we desperately wished we could just get like a, a life do-over, not even a day or a month or a year do-over, but kind of a life do-over. You know, you stack a few bad years together and all of a sudden you've got one long bad life that you wish you could do again. I think that'd be the win of reincarnation. At least we'd get a try again after we kept on failing. But we don't. It, it doesn't work like that. And it's not fair. Sometimes it feels unfair to me that we don't even get a little bit of a warm-up life to get ready for real life. On Wednesday morning, I got to the gym later than I wanted, which meant I didn't have a ton of time before I had to get home and get my kids ready for school. And so I skipped warming up and just got right to it. On Thursday morning, I woke up with searing pain in my back and I couldn't turn my neck to the left. Because I'm too far into middle age. I'm too close to being over the hill to pick things up and put them back down without warming up. Like I need a warm-up. Even if I don't like warm-ups. Sometimes I work out with insane people who I think are masochists and their warm-up is more intense than my workout. Like after 30 minutes of going, they're like, all right, we're done with the warm-up. See you tomorrow. Your warm-up is my workout. I'm gone. But here's the problem. I think too many of us are living life like we're in the warm-up and we're not. This is the workout. This is it. We get one chance at it and there are no do-overs. Except here. 
except in the, the water grave that reminds us what God did when Jesus stepped out of eternity into the human story and gave his life so that every last one of us could have a new life. Like that's what baptism is declaring, that the God who created the universe moved in the human story in a way that means you and me and everybody we crash into can grab hold of a new life if they want it, no matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done, or what's been done to them. New life is there, and it will change absolutely everything about you. You guys, Jesus didn't die to change your beliefs. He didn't die to change your your thoughts or your theology. He died to change your identity and your future. And baptism is all about that. It's this visible picture of a future that has been indelibly and completely changed forever. And my favorite Bible story about baptism is actually a really cool picture of that. It's found in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a, a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to Acts Eight. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. The words will be up on the screen or you can follow along in the Revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids need them, we got them in a bunch of colors for a bunch of different ages back in the next steps table. They're free. They're our gift to you. But Acts chapter eight, starting verse 26, is a story of this dude named Philip and this crazy encounter he had along the road one day. This is what we read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I want to press pause on the story real quick here for a second to help us understand a few important things. First things first, the Ethiopian eunuch. This guy is basically the chief financial officer of the Ethiopian empire. He's a big deal, but he's paid a high price to get there. In a whole bunch of ancient societies, in order to make sure there was no relationships between court officials and the king's harem and no secret mixing of the pure royal bloodlines, they would take some of the best and brightest young men in society and make them eunuchs in their early teens to track them towards social service. And so this guy, almost certainly by no choice of his own, was forced into this procedure at 13 or 14 years old. And after that point, he'd risen to the absolute pinnacle of political power, but there are three things we know about him. Number one, as much as his condition opened doors politically, it shut them religiously. Being a eunuch meant that he was excluded from the religious life and practice of basically every faith system in the known world. He's a spiritual outcast. And number two, as wealthy as important as he is, and and he's he's a big shot kind of a guy, he lived in the middle of a society where the most important thing any man could do was pass on his name and his legacy to a son, to the next generation. And this guy can't do that. He's cut off from leaving the type of legacy everyone around him most desperately longed to leave. And number three, he's empty. He's frustrated. He's lost. He's even desperate. Because it's a 2,500-mile journey to get from Addis Ababa to Jerusalem. That's roughly New York City to Los Angeles. 
In the ancient world, that's not just months and months and months of travel. It's incredible danger. And yet this guy took that pilgrimage because he so badly wanted to do over life. He was hoping he could find some sort of truth, some sort of meaning, some sort of connection to the divine with the God of the Jews. Like maybe this God will let me in. But here's what we know. When he got to the temple in Jerusalem after his long journey, he got rejected there too. It doesn't say that in the text because the author Luke just assumes that all of us will know it. His original audience certainly did. First of all, he's a black African, which meant he wasn't getting past the outer courts of the temple no matter what. Most of us wouldn't. They only let Jews into the inner sanctum of the temple. And not only that, but he's maimed, which means they wouldn't have let him on the temple grounds at all. No chance. So make no mistake, this guy is headed home after a 2,500-mile failed journey where he has been rejected once again and told that who he is, his story, and what's happened to him means he is cut off from the divine forever. And here's a guy who, who's desperate for another shot, who's wishing he could have taken any other because he's been rejected and rejected and rejected again and again and again by every faith system and every God. And he's headed home reading the book of Isaiah thinking, why? Why me? Why this? Is, is there no way that I can be accepted? I mean, he went on the journey in the first place because he believed that who he was wasn't anyone worthy of God's love. Who he was wasn't who he wanted to be. And then the Holy Spirit grabbed Philip. He's like, hey, Philip, run up to that guy's chariot. And so Philip pulls up. And I read that stuff. I'm like, how fast is Philip? He can run chariot speed? And what kind of shape is he in that he was just doing it? It's like, all right, God, I'm just going to run here until you give me another instruction. He's in better shape than me. He didn't need a warm-up. That's not in there. He just went. And he's running along. And he looks in. And who's in there? A dude that a good first century Jewish boy would want absolutely nothing to do with. This is a foreigner. And he has like a physical defect. Like Philip wasn't going to associate with someone like that until he met Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit's like, hey, talk to that guy. And I love it so much because this is God's way of saying, yeah, Phil, that guy, that guy. This Jesus thing is for everybody. I'm not messing around with it anymore. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is meant for every single human being created in my image on this planet. It is going to reconnect all of the disconnect that's happened in the world. It's for that guy. And to his credit, Philip's like, all right, Lord, I'm in. He's like, hey, man, you understand what you're reading? And I don't know if this is true. It's a mic theory, but I think in part he asked that because he wanted to be helpful and he had a sense that that's what God wanted him to do. And in part he asked it because he was hoping for a ride. He was, he was like begging the guy, like invite me up in that chariot because riding is better than running every time. That's a, that's a mic truth that you can just, you can write that down and put it on your wall. And that's what happens, right? The guy's like, okay, come up on in the chariot. And then this is what goes down next. We read, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? 
and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I love this so much. Here's a guy who for most of his life had lived with an identity based on an identification. Like he looked in the mirror and he didn't see who his creator told him he was created to be. He saw the marks and the scars that the world defined him by and rejected him because of, and then he met Jesus. Then Philip was able to tell him about this gospel, this good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and who Jesus did it for and explain to him this whole concept that Paul lays out in Colossians 3 where he's like, hey, here in the family of Jesus, here there is no Jew or Gentile circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, because Christ is all and Christ is in all. It's like here, man, in the family of Jesus, we're living in a reality that transcends all the divisions of humanity and reconnects us not just to one another, but to the, to the divine. Here, it's, it's not an inside and an outside crowd any more because Jesus is everything. He's everything. There's no more black or white or brown or yellow or Ukrainian, Russian, American, Mexican, Canadian, Republican, Democrat, liberal, or conservative. Any of that stuff that puts you in a group that's us and good and other followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit living in them in a group that's them and bad, that stuff is gone. We are done with the division of humanity. Jesus came to connect the things that have been divided. He's like, listen, Ethiopian eunuch, you are welcome here. Before Jesus came, there's no way that this guy from Ethiopia and this guy from Israel would have ever been in relationship with one another. But he's like, look, this is what Jesus is all about. We're living in a new reality where no segment of society can snip off part of your identity and claim it for their own. We belong to a bigger kingdom, a transcendent kingdom. We belong to a rebel kingdom that doesn't do things the way all the kingdoms of the world around us do them. That's not how it works anymore. This kingdom tears down the walls of the world and brings us back together the way God created us to be, back to one another and back to him and you can be a part. And it's amazing. This guy I is so blown away. Jesus is everything he had ever been hoping for and more. And he looks at Philip and he's like, man, if this is true, if you're not lying to me, if the God who made the world actually came and did that for me, if I am actually invited in, if I can belong, if this is true, if this is for me, then why in the world shouldn't I be baptized right now? I am done with the old me. I want the new me. And they find some water and Philip dunks him. And it's this visible image of an invisible reality that this guy's life has been completely made new. That he killed off his old identity and he got a brand new identity grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it just, it overwhelms me a little bit because this is a dude who never found acceptance from any man claiming the name of God, but he found complete acceptance from the God who claims mankind. And it's crazy because like this section that he was reading that, that Philip explained to him is toward the end of Isaiah. And like in his eyesight on the scroll while he's reading that, almost right after the stuff we read that he was reading, and almost certainly what he read right after he came up out of the water and hopped back in the chair and kept writing Isaiah are, are these words. 
Let no foreigner who's bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who chose what pleases me and who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Like before this guy crashed into Jesus, he would have read those words and been like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever read in any religious book. Like how how could God do that? I know, I've known since I was 14 that my name is going to die with me. But after he met Jesus... He read these words that he could leave a legacy, and this is what we know. He went back to Ethiopia and shared the gospel there. He planted the first church in the nation of Ethiopia. He shared life and love and hope with so many of his countrymen that historians believe Ethiopia was the first place on this planet where the majority of people claimed allegiance to Jesus Christ. Ethiopia is likely the first Christian nation by faith, not politics, in the history of the world, and it's still one today. That's the legacy of this Ethiopian eunuch. That's more sons and daughters in eternity, more sons and daughters in the faith than he could have ever even imagined having in this lifetime. And that's his story. And it all began with that decision to kill off his old self and take on a new self that's built completely on who Jesus is and what Jesus did for him and decide that he was no longer going to live into an image and an identity that his culture had pinned to him. He was going to live into a purpose that his creator had given him. And listen, God wants to do that exact same thing for you today. He does. I don't know exactly what you see when you look in the mirror. I don't know what scars you're carrying, what failures you've allowed to define you, whether they were in front of 50,000 people or not. I don't know what labels the world has, has slapped on you that have cut you off from other people or from God. I don't know what moments or what seasons in your life you desperately wish you could go back to and get a do-over. But I do know that no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you, new life is yours if you will just claim it because of what Jesus did for you. And if you're here this morning and you've claimed it, if you know that truth, I just want to invite you to walk out filled up to the brim again with hope and peace and joy and meaning and purpose because you are not who the world says you are. You are who your creator says you are. Look in the mirror. Throw off the labels that the world has given you. Stop living like you're defined by your greatest failure and live in to who Jesus says you were created to be. And if you're here or you're watching online and you've never done that, if you've never taken that step, if you're still looking for that thing deep inside you that's empty, that your soul is longing for. If you're still desperate for a do-over, I want you to know today you can have it. It's easy and it's free. All you have to do is believe. Believe that your sin, your rejection of God cut you off from him, but he did not leave you in that place. He refused to leave you in that place. He died so that you could be forgiven and he rose again so that you could live. And if you believe that and surrender your life to him, it's yours. You can walk out of here completely new today. And I'm going to pray in a minute. And if, if you want to do that for the first time, I want you to pray with me. But wherever you're at along your faith journey, if this is a prayer of your heart, I just want you to, to pray it in your heart and your mind to God with me as we go. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us so much that you refused to abandon us to our brokenness and our sin. Jesus, I believe 
I believe that because you died, I can be forgiven. I believe that because you rose, I can live. Would you help me today, Lord, to look in the mirror and see who you say that I am, not who the world says that I am? Would you set me free from the chains and the divisions that this world tries to impose on me and help me live as a citizen of a rebel kingdom? And Lord, would you use me? Would you use me to speak love and speak life and speak hope to all the people around me who are desperate for it? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.